My friend, I am such a big believer that your mindset is everything. It can really dictate if your life has meaning, has value, and you feel fulfilled, or if you feel exhausted, drained, and like you're never going to be enough. Our brand new book, The Greatness Mindset, just hit the New York Times bestseller back-to-back weeks. And I'm so excited to hear from so many of you who've bought the book, who've read it, and finished it already, and are getting incredible results from the lessons in the book. If you haven't got a copy yet, you'll learn how to build a plan for greatness through powerful exercises and toolkits designed to propel your life forward. This is the book I wish I had when I was 20, struggling, trying to figure out life. 10 years ago, at 30, trying to figure out transitions in my life, and the book I'm glad I have today for myself. Make sure to get a copy at lewishouse.com slash 2023mindset to get your copy today. Again, lewishouse.com slash 2023mindset to get a copy today. Also, the book is on Audible now, so you can get it on audiobook as well. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Now, why do plants have hundreds of bioactive compounds? Because they don't have any, anything better to do? No, they make those hundreds of bioactive compounds because the plant has evolved to know that that's the symphonic orchestration that's necessary to manage their function. They're not treating a disease. They're managing their function. Now, when we take those molecules out of that plant by extraction, we put them into a tea or whatever, the tincture or whatever, now we have an orchestra. We don't have just the first violinist. We have an orchestra that speaks to our body, and it speaks to our body in what's called an adaptogen. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. I'm curious about immune system and immunity. This has obviously been something that people have been thinking about a lot more in the last few years with everything that's happened globally. Um, but I think immunity and the immune system is actually something I've been fascinated by because I don't think actually people understand what it is. I don't think I understand fully what the immune system is. So if we can start with that 
first. What is the immune system? What is it intended to do for us? How can we own it? And also, is it possible to have full immunity over viruses and diseases? Oh boy, there's a lot of stuff wrapped yeah. up in that. So let's, <laughs> let's unpack that. Um, let me start with just a s simple concept that I think describes why I'm so interested in the immune system and why I think everyone else should be as well. So it turns out that every minute that we're alive and not sick, that uh, we're producing about a million new immune cells. Which means if you do the, the math, uh, the total number of immune cells that are in our body, it means that about every three months we've completely reformed our immune system with new cells. Now the question is, those cells that we're reforming every three months, are they as good, better, or worse than the ones from which they were derived? And um, what has turned out, as people have studied this, and I'm now speaking about immunologists who are investigating this, is that over the course of living, for the average person, the cells that replace these old cells are worse off than the ones that they are replacing. They're worse off, meaning they have undergone aging. This is called immunosenescence. And it turns out that that process of immune aging is why we see, for instance, uh, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 appearing more seriously in older age people because their immune system is kind of starting to be worn out. They've undergone what's called immunosenescence. Now, it turns out that that is a biological property that is related a lot to how your immune system is being treated over the course of your living. It's not a locked-in, you will have this bad immune system when you're 65, or you'll have this great immune system when you're 25. So you can control the outcome of your immune system. That is the lesson of this discussion. Wow, yes. okay. And we call, that, we call that kind of the biological age of your immune system, as differentiated from your number of birthdays, which is your... Not the chronological. Right, exactly. Okay. So, so you can track the biological age of your immune system? Yes, and we've been doing that. There, is, there are ways now scientifically to do that, fairly conveniently, by the way, if you are in the laboratory, which we are. And um, you do that by actually looking at how the genes in your immune cells are undergoing injury or change. And the way we do it is, uh, rather than looking at injury to the DNA, we look at the change uh, on what's called the epigenome, epi meaning above the, the genome. And the, the actual measurement we use is the number of methyl groups that are stuck onto the genes of the immune system. Now, some of those, that's part of the epigenetic process. Some of those um, processes are related to the adaptation of the immune system to be better off than it was before, but others of those can lead to the immune system aging. And we can measure where those methyl groups are put and how they track with performance of the immune system. So is it possible then to take a, a person, say 30, take their blood, <clears throat> spin their blood down, take the, uh, the buffy coat of the, of the uh, blood, which is spun down, which is where the immune cells reside. Is that the white part then? Yeah, that's the white part. Not mm -hmm. the red. Precisely, right. yep. Near the red cells are in the red, that's the erythrocytes, but the white part is the buffy immune cells. And you can then subject those to this kind of study I'm talking about, this epigenetic sequencing using gene chip technology. When you do that, you can find out that people that are 30 may have immune system function at the epigenetic level of a 60-year-old. Or you may find a 60-year-old that has the immune system of a 30-year-old. Interesting. What, what are the main factors that determine a weaker immune system in a 30-year-old versus a strong one in a 60-year-old? What are they doing differently that causes them to be weak or strong? Okay, so that is uh, really where the Rosetta Stone lies is the answer <laughs> to that question. So let me give a, a best approximation because I don't believe anyone fully has answered that question. But we have some pretty good 
uh, at least first level understanding. So if a person is exposed to a lot of stress, if they don't sleep, if they're a smoker, if they consume excess alcohol, if they don't exercise, they eat uh, extremely ultra-processed foods, if they're exposed to uh, xenobiotic toxic chemicals, every one of those things that I just mentioned is an agent that modifies how the immune system is marked epigenetically and can contribute to immunosenescence, immune aging. So if you wrap those things together and then lay them on top of a person's genes, because you might say, but but Jeff, I know a person that has all those things and they're perfectly healthy and they're 90 years of age and they've never been sick. Well, yes, there are those exceptions, certainly related to their genetic luck of the draw. I call it their book of life, 26 chapters, 23 chapters that's encoded in their, in their chromosomes. Those things might have been the luck of the draw that helped them to resist. But for most individuals, what we will find is those characteristics, as you load them up on the immune cells, you will see more and more of the injuries that yes. pertain to aging of the immune system. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of damage when you start to stack those challenges exactly. on the immune system over time. Maybe in your early 20s you can handle it, but then as you age each decade, it's probably harder and harder to recover faster from sickness or illness or injury, right? I think, Lewis, you said it. Th this is what I call resilience. And, you know, resilience is a characteristic that I think we haven't given enough uh, credence for. We did a, a survey of 15,000 individuals on our website asking, what's your definition of health? And out of those 15,000 individuals, only a few of them said absence of some disease. I don't want to get cancer. I don't want to get Alzheimer's. I don't want to get heart disease. What do most people say? They said, I want to be able to run a marathon. I want to learn new tasks. I want to be successful at work. I want to have the energy to play with my kids. I want to be able to climb mountains. I want to, I mean, all these variety of human functions that relate to the expression of joy, diversity, performance. It wasn't about the absence of disease. It was the presence of function, the presence of performance. So the immune system gives us that flexibility. It gives us the resilience to be able to jump on a plane and go to Kathmandu or to go to Kilimanjaro and hike the mountain. If you have an immune system that's not properly configured, you end up with uh, more probable acute mountain sickness and right. other things that happen. Right. Now, you're, you're known as the father of functional medicine. Why is the immune system and immunity something that you've dedicated most of your work to understanding? Yeah, thank you. So that is a part of my four-year learning. So right now, if I was to list the major concerns, health concerns that people have throughout the course of living would be things like dementia, maybe Alzheimer's. It would be cardiovascular disorders which still constitute the number one cause of premature death. It would be um, autoimmune disorders. There are 88 different diagnoses of different types of autoimmune disease. It would be diabetes, particularly type 2 diabetes. It would be obesity. I could go down the list, but that's a pretty good start. Every one of those conditions that I just mentioned is an immune-related dysfunction. They're connected to the immune system. Every one is an imbalanced immune Interesting. system. Interesting. Really? So yeah. when you look at these diseases, you'll see that there was a, a break or a weakening in the immune that's system. That's exactly right. And that's part of the reason why these diseases were formed or caused, because the immune system wasn't able to fight against whatever forces were coming at them? That, uh, yeah. So let's use an example that probably most people would not be aware of. Let's, let's think of the brain. So... People would say, well, these uh, cognitive dysfunctions, um, early stage dementia, memory loss, uh, foggy brain, uh, that can't be an immune problem, Jeff. The brain is up there all by itself. It's got the bubbling barrier. It's separated from the rest of the body. But it turns out the brain has its own immune system. Uh, this is called the microglia. These are cells that are actually in the brain. 
Uh, they were called microglia, glia is from the Greek meaning glue-like, because they were just thought to be glue-like cells that glued the, the neurons of the brain together. But over the last uh, particularly 30 years, it's been found, no, these are actually the brain's immune system. And they cross-talk with the immune cells that are floating in our blood, which cross-talk with the immune cells in our liver, which cross-talk to the immune system that's in our gut. Do you realize that 60% of our immune system is clustered around our intestinal tract? Wow. So all of those are cross-talking. This explains why people with gluten enteropathy that can't stand gluten because of their immune problems in their gut, it speaks to their brain and they have higher levels of dementia. Interesting. So wait, how many immune systems does the body have? Because I'm hearing a brain well, immune, immune system, there's okay, a you know, thank gut you. immune system. I'm glad there's... you brought that up. There, <laughs> this is another uh, probably <laughs> aha for some people. The immune system resides in every organ of the body. It, it's, we have the myokines in the, in the muscles. That's why you get uh, sore chronic muscles uh, with either overtraining or undertraining. You're actually altering the immune system that's producing these inflammatory uh, meat eaters that are in your muscles. Uh, the same thing holds true for the liver. Uh, the, this, this rising tide of non-alcoholic fatty liver disorder that we're now seeing even in kids, that's a consequence of immune system in your liver gone awry. So why is there... Why is the liver being affected if someone's not doing alcohol? Is that from processed foods, sugar, gluten, or other things? Or how is the liver being affected to someone in their youth? Okay. So, you you know, you're asking superb questions. It's <laughs> yeah. really well, fantastic. So um, here is the operative model of how that occurs. So we would all agree that we've changed our diets considerably over the last 100 years. Yes. Maybe even want to say over the last yeah. 50 years. The sad diet, the standard American the, diet. Exactly right. So we have a lot of these ultra-processed foods that are very high in blood sugar stimulating effects and and they also bring a lot of other um, agents into the diet that uh, activate the immune system to say, I don't really think these are friendly to us. They're unfriendly. And when the immune system recognizes a foreigner or a non-friend, it has got the principal responsibility of defending us from that, not just viruses or bacteria. So where does this start? Well, most people eat their food orally um, and that means it starts in the mouth, you um, consume, digest into the gut, and now you feed the remnants of that food to your gut microbiota, the so-called microbiome. The microbiome is composed of literally uh, thousands of different critters, each with a different personality, that picks up the information from your food that you've eaten and partially digested, and it then sends signals from its metabolism that are picked up by the intestinal wall where the immune system resides. It's called the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, the GALT, G-A-L-T. So that immune system that's sitting there in the intestinal tracts, picking up the information from your microbiome that picks up the information from your diet, which is an alarm message because you're eating things that the body doesn't think it should be consuming. And now what does it do? It takes that message into your blood. And where's the first place that that blood goes when it comes out of your intestinal tract? It's the portal blood system that goes right to your liver. So your liver is the drainage organ that takes that information and says, whoa, we're getting a lot of bad pushback here from this diet. We're going to tell our immune cells in our liver that are called the Kupfer cells that they should be aggravated. They then send out a message in the blood that travels to the rest of the body, including to your fat mass. And so now you go from friendly fat to, to angry fat. And angry fat is where you have a concern about obesity and associated with disease. By, by the way, there is no data that says that being fat will cause a disease. There is a data, strong data, saying that those people that have angry fat have fat that's been activated through their immune system imbalance into a state of alarm. They're the one, and of course that is 
because of the diet we're eating, that's the majority of people with increased body mass. Right, right. You know, fat in itself is not a bad thing, but an overwhelmingly unhealthy amount of fat is- Of the wrong archetype. Of the wrong archetype. That's right. Will potentially be a cause of, you know, type 2 diabetes and other things. So let me say something to that. So for decades, I've run clinical centers, thousands of patients, had um, many, many research projects we've published over the years. One of my learnings is when a person comes in and they're very worried about their weight and they have elevated blood pressure and they have elevated cholesterol and they have elevated blood sugar, and so they're worried about all sorts of diseases, and um, they uh, they say, well, doc, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gro grossly overweight. I know that from the tables, and you know, it's, it, I've tried to lose weight, and but I've been unsuccessful. And you know, if I have to lose 50 pounds, it, it, I just am not going to be successful. Well, the data says that you don't need to lose 50 pounds. What you need to do is to calm down the immune system that's sitting in that fat that's making it angry. That may be as little as five pounds of weight loss if it's the right type. Interesting. So getting rid of that bad fat, the angry fat, the unhealthy that's fat. That's right. Exactly. Not trying to lose 50 pounds, which is this daunting task. Um, interesting. Okay, so when did the immune system become something that you wanted to really obsess over with your practice and study and research and just diving into? Was it early in your practice or was it? Well, you know, when we uh, started the Institute for Functional Medicine, which I'm even saying this, I find hard to believe was 1991. So we're in our 32nd year of that now being codified. Um, we've had several thousand, several hundred thousand people go through its programs over those years, um, health practitioners. Uh, I was focusing on how these different organs communicate with one another. I was interested in how do we get a disorder, not how we treat it once we have it. I was worried about root cause. I was worried about what's called upstream. And um, just then, if you recall, that's before the turn of the century, um, just then were the new genomic techniques and tools becoming available before we started to decipher the human genome. As we got into then the 21st century and those tools became available, it started to make a lot of what we had been speculating on in the early days of, of functional medicine look much more well-proven because now we can actually mechanistically look at how the liver talks to the immune system, how the immune system talks to the brain, and, and we had tools to actually start examining this from a mechanistic level. Now, let me just finish the story by saying once we had those tools and we were able to start putting the puzzle together into a logical framework, then it allowed us to really go back and say, what are the systems in the body that are the most affected upstream that give rise to this downstream 15,000 diagnoses? And I was very, very fortunate because I, tra I travel over 6 million miles, believe it or not. I know it's crazy who would do that in their life. So that's a whole other story. But but because of that travel, the benefit it gave me is meeting all sorts of extraordinary, innovative uh, individuals across different disciplines all over the world. And so I started to assemble my list of the people that were really creating this new model. And my wife, um, Susan, was very uh, very insightful one, one night when I was waxing on. And she said, uh, Jeff, you know, you've met all these people all over the world. You always speak so highly about them. Why don't we host a meeting and bring these thought leaders in? It's just a whiteboard to talk about. What would the healthcare system look like if it was to be idealized? Take away licensure, take away reimbursement. Just talk about the structure of what it would be based on all these people you're talking about. So she hosted, or I guess we hosted, a meeting in Vancouver Island, British Columbia, um, in Victoria. Uh, we brought in about 60 of these thought leaders from different places around the world, different disciplines. 
And it was really, really an extraordinarily vital three-day discussion. Everyone said, hey, this was so much fun. Let's, let's do it again. We did it the next year. The second year was when I, I came up with this concept of calling it functional medicine. And um, when I went back to talk to the group on that, the last Sunday of the, of the three days, they said, well, uh, we're not sure that that's a good word because in medicine today and back then, uh, function really referred to two things, uh, either geriatric medicine, dysfunction, physical disability, or psychosomatic medicine, it's all in your mind. It's a functional disorder. And, and that might be really kind of um, marginalizing what you're saying. But I said, no, I, you know, I'm reading the literature all the time, and when I'm starting to see articles on functional neurology, functional endocrinology, functional cardiology, they're reframing this as an upstream way of looking using that, these new tools that will later be downstream pathology disease. So let's capture that. Let's, let's get to where the puck is going. Let's, um, let's capture that as a term, but with some pushback or reticency, the group said, okay, let's, let's give it a whirl. So that then led us into recognizing that there were, um, in group discussions, a variety of central processes in the body that were the upstream processes that if were, they were imbalanced that gave rise to these downstream collection of diagnoses. And those included such things have, um, the immune system was obviously one of them. Another was digestive physiology. Another was cell communication. Another was uh, detoxification. Another was um, uh, intracellular cellular replication and the integrity of how cells replicate themselves into daughter cells without losing their function. So we had these, uh, these six basic functional uh, characteristics that we could measure each one of those um, physiologically. And so then we started to say, okay, can we prioritize those in terms of how they would go into a clinical management program? Because ultimately, uh, we're kind of in this blue sky ethereal area. We need to translate this for clinicians, how they could deliver this um, in practice. So we developed a program that was our first uh, kind of clinical tool that I'm, I'm very proud of. If someone was to say, Jeff, what is the most, um, the thing is you're most proud of? I think it would be the development of that first um, program, which we called the 4R program. Those R's stood for um, Remove, Replace, Reinoculate, and Repair. We've taught hundreds of thousands of practitioners that program, by the way. Now, what does that mean? One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is 
already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It was uh, our gastrointestinal restoration program. We started talking actually about uh, prebiotics, probiotics, endotoxemia, in 1985. That was my first seminar for doctors on that topic. And traditional medicine at that point was really calling us way out there. Um, when we finally then codified this program in the early 1990s, the 4R program, it was a way of doctors actually delivering a program to their patients that was easily applied, that people could understand, that would restore proper gastrointestinal immune and digestive function. So the first R was remove. That was take away bad stuff. That could be um, exposure to toxins. That could be exposure to um, bacteria, tainted food. That could be food allergens, uh, things that you know were alarming your body. That was the first R to remove. The next was replace. And what we found, uh, and it's actually very well known in medicine, is that a great percentage of individuals suffer from digestive insufficiency. So, uh, in fact, the, the cells of our stomach that secrete hydrochloric acid to start a digestive process called the parietal cells, um, something like 50% of people over the age of 50 have defective or dysfunctional parietal cells, which means that they're not able to digest a steak dinner as well. And when you talk to people about, oh, gee, I used to be able to eat this heavy meal and it was still fine, now I get digestional problems after just a few bites. Well, that's part of the dig digestive physiology. So we can replace those digestive enzymes as support. That's the, the second R. Is How do you replace. replace them? Well, pancreatic enzymes like pancreatin or uh, hydrochloric acid like uh, betaine hydrochloric. So taking different enzymes. That that's right, exactly. So that's the second R. The third R then is the re-inoculate R. Now, what does that refer to? That is going back and repairing the, what, what is now called the microbiome. We didn't know that term when we first started, right. but now that is what we're talking about. And so that has to do with pre and probiotics, reassembling the proper gastrointestinal physiology with pre and probiotics. That's the third R. What should we be doing with pre and probiotics? Should we be taking them daily? What type should we be taking? You know, how does that work? Because you hear about this a lot now. This yogurt's got good for, you know, bacteria or prebiotics or probiotics or take this kombucha or whatever these different things are. Should we be doing these things daily? What does that exactly actually mean? So as you have advocated with many of your guests that I've heard on your podcast, a diet that takes us back to Dan Butner and Blue Zones <laughs> is a diet that people have historically eaten that right. has the capability of nourishing a healthy microbiome. Right, like a Mediterranean-style that, diet. That's exactly right. So you have a high amount of soluble and insoluble fibers because they're not over-processed. So these are minimally processes like a Michael Pollan, another person you've interviewed. Um, and those are diets that will 
the liver the raw materials that are necessary for the body to have a proper microbiome. Now, individuals who are in a treatment regime, because I've been speaking here about doctors applying this to their patients, they need a boost. They may need a therapeutic booster. So then we get into administering a prebiotic and a probiotic supplementation. That's that's going to get a, a, yeah. a fire starting to get them going, basically, Got on it. a booster rocket. Got it. Okay. So, so, so that's, that's re-inoculate, right? Right. That's okay. what we call it, re-inoculate. And then, and then the um, the last arm is the repair arm, and the repair arm is uh, are there nutrients that will then restore the damage of the very sensitive one-cell thick liner of the gastrointestinal mucosa that separates us from all that toxic junk in our intestinal tract. Because often that becomes damaged, um, and that's called dysbiosis is the name that we applied. When we started using the term dysbiosis, by the way, this was the late 80s, Again, gastroenterology of the days criticized. I said, no, that does not ex exist. And then we talked about endotoxemia, that what happens if you have dysbiosis, then leaky stuff goes across because you have a leaky gut that goes into your blood, and now you have endotoxemia. And traditional medicine said, no, you can't have endotoxemia. You'd have all these people in shock, and they'd be in the hospital with, with uh, toxic uh, conditions. But we said, no, we think that there is chronic subacute endotoxemia. That's been proven unequivocally over the last 30 years Interesting. now. Is leaky gut becoming a bigger problem in the world today? And yes. if so, what is the root cause of a leaky gut? Endotoxemia, which occurs from a dysbiosis, which occurs from a faulty diet and lifestyle. So bad diet and lifestyle causes most... And drugs and alcohol. I mean, people don't recognize that uh, many of the pharmaceuticals, both OTC and prescription, that people are consuming has an adverse effects on their gastrointestinal microbiota, which then complicates uh, small bowel overgrowth and all sorts of uh, problems that are associated with endotoxemia. It seems like you're speaking about drugs a little bit there. It seems like the world is over-medicated. Here, over here. Over-drugged. Here, here. And I just don't know if the body, again, this is my, uh, just the view of human nature. I don't think the body is meant to have chemicals outside constantly to to change the chemistry with the inside that much. Now, if there's some extreme pain that's gonna give some relief or help some, some, some numbing of a pain that until the immune system can heal itself, cool. But what is the difference, I guess, between modern medicine and natural medicine? And why are we over-medicated? And how can we start pulling back on that medicine? You are asking such great questions. I mean, these, these are really the, the fundamental questions of our age. Um, so I want to roll back a little bit yes. to, to try to get an answer to your question. Yes. Um, years ago, I had the privilege of being invited to um, China to do a series of lectures, ending up at the Beijing University Medical School and Medical Center, the largest uh, medical center and hospital in uh, China. And it was uh, where if a president of the United States was over there, he would be treated and I was hosted by the chief of staff of the hospital. It was a very prestigious opportunity for me. He then invited his whole senior staff to a seminar I gave on functional wow. medicine, which was kind of staggering, actually. It was obviously translated. My Mandarin sure. isn't that good. <laughs> um, and at the end of that uh, presentation, which was a couple of hours, uh, we were giving one another gifts in this ceremony. And I gave him a gift, and I, my translator translated my English. Then he gave me a gift, and he started speaking. The translator was going to translate back to English. 
But he went on and on and on and on. And I was standing there going- In Mandarin. Yes, in yeah, Mandarin. Yeah. I'm wondering, gee, I wonder what he's saying. Because it was really lengthy. And finally, I, I said to my translator, I said, so exactly what is he saying? He said, well, I can summarize it by saying, you're the first person he's ever met from the United States who seems to understand traditional Chinese medicine. Now, the reason for that is that if you think about modern pharmacology, how, how does it work? It works in a specific way. A scientist or some investigator discovers a target in the body, we call it a receptor, that is related to some specific disease. So they have made this fundamental scientific discovery that that receptor uh, could be the testosterone receptor or the estrogen receptor. We have thousands of different receptors in the body that some alteration in that receptor, either too active or not active enough, causes this disease or that condition. So then science jumps in and says, oh, then let's go out and screen new to nature molecules. The whole library of molecules, millions of molecules that have been generated in the laboratory from chemist time memoriam or new ones that we're going to generate. And let's then test them against that receptor. And let's find which of those molecules will most do what we want at that receptor to treat that condition. That is the pharmacological model of our age. And by the way- That's it, modern medicine. Right. It's been very, very successful for, for many things. But you'll notice that it is an acute disease-focused model because what you're really trying to do is take all the ambiguity out of a receptor. You're saying, we own you. We're going to put a molecule in your body that is so has such an affinity for you that you can't escape from us. Now, that's why we have so many adverse drug side effects, because there's not a lot of wobble. Once you've got that controlled, now you take the luck of the draw, and you may be one of those outliers that doesn't respond as other people respond. So that's, that is a model that's really good if you're in the emergency room, because you don't want a lot of ambiguity. If that person's near death, you want that molecule to go in and, and do Stop its job. Stop it in that moment. That's yeah, yeah. right. But now if you take those drugs that were designed really for acute uh, disease management and to extend them into chronic management. So now we'll take a drug that really was designed after two years of study to go into a person that's going to take it for 20 years for a chronic condition, not an acute condition. Is that the same thing? No. And the answer, it's not. It's not. And so now what we start getting is what's called iatrogenic disorders, right? What's that mean? Physician-induced or treatment-induced disorders that are actually caused by the effects of that molecule. Wow. Now, which is causing another defect or disease yes, in the which body. which requires another molecule to treat it. Oh, my gosh. So now, let's go back to my traditional Chinese medicine. How did traditional Chinese medicine develop? They didn't have big chemistry and, and uh, screening of thousands of new-to-nature molecules. Um, what they had was nature, and they had empiricism. They had observation. Energy, balance, That's nature, right. and what plants the whole have? system, not just one little part. And plants have hundreds of bioactive compounds. Now, why do plants have hundreds of bioactive compounds? Because they don't have any, anything better to do? No. They make those hundreds of bioactive compounds because the plant has evolved to know that that's the symphonic orchestration that's necessary to manage their function. They're not treating a disease. They're managing their function. Now, when we take those molecules out of that plant by extraction, we put them into a tea or whatever, the tincture or whatever, now we have an orchestra. We don't have just the first violinist. We have an orchestra that speaks to our body, and it speaks to our body in what's called an adaptogen. Now, what is an adaptogen? 
An adaptogen is something that goes to those receptor sites, the same ones I was talking about that drugs are designed, but it speaks to the receptor site in a different way. If the receptor site is overactive because it's a mellow acting symphony, like a Tchaikovsky waltz or something, it turns on if it's over, if it's underactive, but it turns off if it's underactive. It's an adaptogen. It's an agonist antagonist dual personality. So how does food work? Think of our diets in a natural state. We eat thousands of these nature molecules. We call them plant nutrients or whatever. And they come into our body. They're distributed out to our cells. And how do they work? Do they work like drugs? Well, they work on the same body systems that drugs work on, but they have a different personality. They are adaptogens. If we were to eat drugs in our food, think what would happen every time that we ate. We'd be whipsawed around. And so if evolution is the biggest scientific study ever done on how to safely manage human health based upon natural intakes of uh, foods and, and natural products. So I learned a tremendous amount from my visit. I've now taken several visits to China about how the different philosophies translate into a whole different treatment regime both of which have benefit depending on when they're used in the right way. In the emergency room and in crisis medicine, we probably want these single molecules. In the, in the control of health and function and, and uh, healthy longevity, we probably want a different set of molecules that are pr producing this symphonic activity. Now, let me, let me give you one last point yes. here, and I'll get off my soapbox. You're good. Well, the, the soapbox is this. So, because... Um, I've thrown this net out in the world of these conversations with the people I've had the fortune of meeting. Um, I had a coincidence, I'm sure you've had this in your life, uh, reading your biography, probably more than once. So within a couple of month period, I had three different encounters that you might consider serendipitous or disconnected, but I recognize they were very connected and probably not serendipitous. I first had a conversation with a co-investigator at uh, Vanderbilt University Medical School about a new molecule he was studying that was very useful for improving the immune system and lowering blood pressure. I never thought that blood pressure was associated with the immune system, but he was showing me the mechanism by which that relates, and I could go through it, but I won't bore you. So this molecule had a name, 2-hydroxybenzylamine, abbreviated 2-HOBA, 2-HOBA. So then I said, well, that's interesting. How did you come on this molecule? He said, well, we didn't do screening. We actually looked at historical uh, consumption of foods, and we found that there was only one food that seemed to have this in high level. It's a food called tartary buckwheat. I had never heard of tartary buckwheat before in my life. I said, oh, well, that's very interesting. So then I go home, and I'm invited then by another colleague to go to Harbin, China, northernmost big city, 28 million people, northern China in between North Korea and Russia. Um, for the annual health check center, I was going to speak to 8,000 Chinese doctors about functional medicine. And my host and guide was a Shanghaiese medical doctor, but PhD in the United States. So he's dual citizen. And um, so he and I spent this week together. And on the way back from Harbin, uh, because there was a typhoon in Shanghai, I said, so Jeff, uh, what about we don't take a plane because the airport's shut? How about if we took the bullet train? Now, it's 2,200 miles. Bullet train. The bullet train from Harbin to Shanghai. How many miles? 2,200 across the middle of China. Yeah. And I said, wow, what an experience that would be. It goes 300 miles an hour. That's crazy. And it's totally vibration-free. So it's like China's going by as a diorama. 
you're sitting in the car, right? You can't see anything. It's just like, it's just, and, and so these, you go through acres and miles and miles of fields, and then suddenly a 10,000 or 10 million people city props up, and then boom, you're up back in the field. So halfway across China, I said to him, I said, um, I'm going to throw a wild card out here because I know this is a little bit of a strange question, but uh, you know, I've become interested recently, just before I came on this trip, with something called Himalayan Tartary Buckwheat. And do you know anything about it? It was so amazing. It was like we did a freeze frame. It's like the train stopped and we did a freeze frame in time. His eyes got big. He looked at me and goes, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, why, why is that? He said, we have been looking for someone in the United States that we could collaborate with. We're the world's expert in the bioactive compounds in Himalayan turtle but Wow. My research group is the group in China doing the most work on this. Amazing. And, and so we developed a partnership. I then came home, and this is the third part of the coincidence, and my dear colleague, Trish Uri, who has worked with me for 26 years, but before I left, I told her the tartary buckwheat story. So she, while I was gone, was looking to see where it was growing in the United States. She could find only one person who was a former Cornell University Ag professor, retired, and his nurse wife that lived in Angelica, New York, that had a small hobby farm in which they were growing tartary buckwheat, only people in the United States. Wow. So when I got back, my interest was really piqued. And so I, we made contact. We went out to Angelica, New York. Uh, we now own Angelica Farms. Amazing. Uh, and and um, it turns out that he, for a whole series of coincidences, was able to get these artisanal seeds from the USDA that were the original ancient Himalayan tartary buckwheat That's seeds. That's amazing. So we now have a Himalayan tartary buckwheat organic agriculture with a cooperative farmers. And the reason I'm saying this is it turns out that that, pro and the reason I'm so interested in that uh, that food, by the way, it was an American food brought up by our colonial ancestors because it's so hardy. It doesn't need fertilizer. doesn't need any subsidy. doesn't need to be watered. It's tough and, and hardy because it's grown on the foothills of the Himalayan mount mountains. But it was lost about 200 years ago in America. I think I know why, but it, it's, it was no longer in agriculture in the United States. And so I got very interested because the immune activity of the nutrients in Himalayan tartary buckwheat, the, the level of them are 50 to 100 times, not percent, times higher than any other plant food. Wow. This is like the super food of immune strengthening capability. Wow. So we now have been doing clinical research, looking at its effect on immune cells. We've uh, done field trials, looking at what happens if we renourish the soil to enhance the phytochemicals in the plant. Um, we're, we're full in. We're the first people in the world, I think, to produce organic Himalayan tartary buckwheat. So it, it's all part of this immune story that I've been pulled into over the last few years. That's a fascinating story. I'm going to have to ask you how I can get some of that later. Oh, well, we're sending you some, so okay, don't worry. Yeah, it's in. coming to you. And I'm also curious, what are the top five foods or superfoods like that to support boosting immune system naturally and really the main things that we should avoid eating that hurt our immune system? Okay. So can I have a little discussion with you yes. about the word boosting? Sure. I am not a believer in any way, shape, or form. Strengthening. Well, let me, let, me say, let me tell you why I'm not for boosting. So during uh, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, pandemic, what did we see in a lot of people? We saw that their immune systems were racing out of control. They were in a hyperinflammatory state. So if we were to boost their immune system, 
Does that sound like a good idea? No, it's not. No. In fact, we were trying to attenuate their immune system. Interesting. And so... So strengthen or would well, it be... Well, I, I call it balancing. Harmonize. Yes, yeah. because the immune system is intelligent. If you give it the right things, the immune system finds its proper resting point. Yes. And so allergies are one... We, we have now what we call immuno identities, five different immuno identities that are different archetypes of immunological imbalance. Each one of those represents a different personality as to how people experience the symptoms. And so if you can understand those immunotypes, then you can balance their immune system in ways that that's our whole personalizing of immunity. What are those identities? So we have a state that's uh, hyperimmune function. Uh, that would be a person who is hypersensitive, inflammation, joint pain, those kind of things. We've got a person that is a variant of that, which is pre-autoimmune types of disorders, thyroid disorders or uh, joint space disorders. Um, we've got a... Um, an immune suppressed uh, type, so where they're susceptible to every cold and flu that comes along, they always get it. And there's a, a, an in, a group of individuals that have what we call dormant immune systems. They're not really suppressed; they're just kind of in quiescence. They they are missing a link to really put them into full activity and full balance. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. And then the, the the fifth one is a balanced immune immune system, which and that's is our, what we all want. Which we all we want. So, based on these five immune identities, when we understand what ours is, then we can start to adjust to get more that's in the harmony. Principle. That's what gotcha. we're doing in uh, Bitbolt Health, a little company I decided to focus my energy on, because I, I felt this was a a field that hadn't gotten the attention that it really deserved. So, how do we know which identity we have? We've got a questionnaire. That's the first start. You know, we've got all sorts of tests that we could do that are expensive and right. sophisticated, but to get started down the road, we have an immune identity questionnaire that's very simple to fill out. Where do we go to get that? Where's uh, that? Is there a link Bigboldhealth.com. Bigboldhealth.com. Yeah. And there'll be a questionnaire. Yeah, it's a 30-question questionnaire. It, sh it should give you at least a where you think you're at, right? It's a broad brush. Right, right. And I want to emphasize that this immunotype can change, right? Like, uh, it's not just fixed in stone. Seasonally, yearly, that's right. Decade, decades, all these different Precisely. things, right? As we age, as we, uh, you know, this whole thing we learned with COVID-19 was pretty powerful, wasn't it? That, that the United States, who we thought was the healthiest nation in the world, had some of the worst outcomes from SARS-CoV-2 in terms of, um, of serious illness and hospitalization and even death. 
from around the world, right? Yeah. We were the worst country in all the developed countries of the world. Really? Yes. Why is that, you think? Well, a lot of people thought it was, well, it must be because we have more older people, but that's that wasn't the case. It wasn't solely a consequence of our demographics. It was a consequence of the fact that our immune systems are really compromised in this country. Wow. And that's what really emboldened me to, to get on involved with this. We don't understand that we are all working on this margin without a lot of headspace. We don't have a lot of reserve. Our resilience is compromised. And we're, we're living with it because we say, well, I can always go to a drug. I can always go to an antibiotic or I can always go to an anti-inflammatory. I can always take an immunosuppressive anti-rheumatic drug. But all of those have adverse long-term health implications. So wouldn't we want to balance our immune system for resiliency rather than try to treat the outcome? That's the whole functional medicine model. That is, um, amen to that. Yeah. And, it, and it's more about per performance. Yes. And balance rather than let's live on margin and then take drugs when we need to, 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 I guess, mask the symptoms or feel a little bit better in the meantime, but it's going to create more long-term effects is what I'm hearing you say, negative effects long-term to the immune system in the overall system of our bodies. Very well said. So let's look at um, endurance athletes. Endurance athletes have a lot of uh, susceptibility to infection. And this Why is well is known. Because they're pushing their immune system That's right, so hard. Because they're compromising the uh, resilience of their immune system because it's not getting all that it needs. Because remember, when you're turning over the immune system more rapidly, it needs more stuff to replenish itself. So if you're on, if you're a, um, an athlete and you say, well, as long as you get enough calories, but I'm not concerned about what those calories are, then you end up with potential marginal insufficiencies of various things that are necessary for proper immune function. And one of those families, by the way, of nutrients, which most people don't put on their list, they think vitamin C or they think zinc or they might think folic acid or vitamin B12, but uh, they probably wouldn't think of flavonoids. Flavonoids. What are those? Those are the plant chemicals that I've been speaking about that are part of the Himalayan tartary buckwheat orchestration. We have rediscovered in the field of uh, nutritional biochemistry what we used to consider throwaways in our food. Um, we thought, well, you know, they're not uh, essential nutrients. You can... You won't get a disease like scurvy, very barrier pellagra if you don't have flavonoids. But what you do get is a reduction in your cellular resilience because they are the agents in our diet that tell cells how to communicate with one another through this, uh, this whole process I've been describing of intracellular communication. Wow. So they have this extraordinarily, you've probably heard about CERT1 and about um, AMPK and all the kind of things that are going on now in longevity, uh -huh. uh, nutrition, and medicine. Those then tie back to the mechanisms by which these flavonoids actually operate at the cellular level. Resveratrol is a flavonoid. Yeah, right? it is a flavonoid. Yes. I'm taking a resveratrol supplement. Yeah, so that's one of, and what we believe is giving the whole orchestration of the symphony because it's the way that our body has learned to operate is by having strings, percussion, brass, uh -huh. <laughs> all yes, the rhythm all together. Drum, right? Drums, everything. Okay, yeah. so back to the... Back to the foods then. Let me re-ask the question about what the right wording. What would you say are the top five foods to harmonize and balance our immune system? Well, you know, I would start... <laughs> the reason I'm hedging a little bit is... <laughs> and then we can go with supplements too. Well, the reason I'm hedging is that when I say foods, I could use foods like berries. But people can't live on berries. Right. right. So berries can be an adjunctive. It's a good immune because it's all of the flavonoids and polyphenols in berries. But if you ask me, 
Would that food sustain life? No, you would have to eat something else. But I would put berries. I would put citrus on that list. But can you live on oranges and, and tangerines and lemons uh, solely? No, but I would put um, things like turmeric. Turmeric, uh, yeah. We know that that has a, a very powerful effect. Uh, I would uh, use um, resveratrol as an example yeah. with peanuts and peanut skins and grape skins and there's another thing that, that has a benefit. I would use garlic um, and allium family, onions. These are very high in uh, immune active uh, nutrients. Uh, let me give you an illustration, though, when I say high. I think this is important to put things in perspective. So if I was to ask myself, how many onions would I need to eat to provide the same amount of immune active nutrients found in one serving of tartary buckwheat? Even though onions are called a high flavonoid, high quercetin-containing food, quercetin is one of the members of that of the family, you would have to eat over 10 pounds of onions. Holy cow. So most people are not going to eat 10 pounds of onions. Right. So when I say it's a high flavonoid food, it's high relative to other things like lettuce right. or like meat, because meat is hardly any flavonoids, but relative to the supercharged foods, it's still relatively low. What are the other supercharged foods then besides the is the buckwheat? Well, a uh, common buckwheat is 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 also that would be, but not as much as the one that you're talking. It's, it, common buckwheat is fifty times lower than tartary buckwheat, but it's still higher than you know the thing. Most most all of your whole grains, by the way, are are high in uh, immune active vitamins, minerals, and and um, polyphenols. Um, now people would say, but what about gluten, Jeff? You know, because there's this big in concern. The buckwheat? Or well, that's buckwheat has no gluten. No gluten. I don't know why in the world when it was chosen as a name that they put wheat in the name because it's not related genealogically at all to the grass family to, to wheat. Okay. So it is a gluten-free product. But if you were to ask me, can you name um, gluten-free uh, products that are high immune strengthening products? There are some of the the ancient non-grain non-grain related i mean oats is a good example it's a gluten-free organic oats are high in these phytochemicals that are immune strengthening they have what's called beta-glucan beta-glucan uh, stimulates your there are two major parts of your immune system you probably know there's the innate immune system which is your first line of defense and there's the adaptive immune system that's the intelligence that remembers what you've been exposed to that's where immunization and and um, being immunized like it and again, something comes out of your adaptive immune Well, beta-glucan and oats activate your first line of defense, which is your, um, is your innate immune system. So these would be some examples of things that, that one could include that would be providing these nutrients. What would be the top five, I like lists, what would be the top five foods to support you in overcoming illness or chronic disease and helping you live longer. Well, we talk about these as kind of side foods to, that will support you with your immune system. What do you think are the foods that will support with this overcoming chronic illness and living longer in general? Okay, so let me start by saying what those foods should not do. And then I'm going to say what foods will do the right thing. Perfect. The, you don't want foods that activate your blood sugar. That is a tenet that 
connects to virtually every chronic disease when your blood sugar is out of control, not just diabetes. High blood sugar, right? High blood sugar. So that's called the glycemic effect of the food. Glycemic refers to the how much it raises your blood sugar glucose. And what we now know is that any food that has the capability of modifying by not elevating your blood sugar after you eat it is going to have a valuable impact on your overall health and your immune system Positive function. impact, yeah. Okay. That's right. What are those foods that keep your blood sugar lower then? So these are foods, as Michael Pollan has said beautifully, that are minimally processed because once you start processing a food to simplify it and break it down into its component parts, it then increases its glucose-raising effects. So the, uh, the physical nature of a whole food, even if it has the same nutrients on the label as a processed food, has a very much more beneficial effect upon your health. So an apple might have a lot of sugar in it, but it... Versus apple juice. Yes, right? So yes. Which is processed. Precisely. Yeah. Or even applesauce. The more processed you get, the more it affects adversely your blood sugar after Interesting. Wow. So, people think juice is healthy. It's good. It's juice, right? Well, that's one of the problems we're having right now is that parents, I think, are, are really trying to do a good job uh, with their kids, and they're taking away soft drinks, but then they're adding back uh, juices, which so a lot are of very sugar. high in sugar. It's natural sugar, but it's still sugar, and it has a high glycemic or a high glucose uh, influence. So I think we're learning a lot of lessons. And, you know, unfortunately, the food processing industry sometimes can uh, manipulate consumers into kind of false assumptions or false conclusions. So we have uh, people like you that are truth seekers that are out there giving the real story so that people can make more informed decisions. And as a nutritional biochemist, you have a, you have a lot of farms, right, around the country? Is that what I read? Or you work with a lot of different local well, farmers? We, our, our, our farms that we're producing, the ternary buckwheat, are all upstate New York. All in New York. And they're all Is that the best farmers. conditions over there for we, it? We like the kind of cold winters, and we like the, the buckwheat, the tarby buckwheat likes to be challenged because it's this hardy plant. So it likes northern climates. It likes the kind of uh, soil um, that kind of duplicates some of its original soil. Sure, sure. Do you have partnerships with farms, or you yeah, own yeah, the farms, or what are that? Well, we, we are we're actively involved in, um, and have been, I, I think in my case, going back many decades, in stewardship of the soil, organic farming. Now we get into sustainable agriculture. How do we get into a, um, and by the way, this also pertains to the sea. Um, I had an opportunity, and now it's seven years ago, to do something I never thought in my life I would do, and that's to start with a partner who owns a major fishing company in Alaska to build the first pharmaceutical-grade plant in Dutch Harbor, Alaska, in the Aleutians some 500 miles out on the tail of Alaska into the Bering Sea. A pharmaceutical-grade plant? A phar pharmaceutical-grade manufacturing plant. Oh, manufacturing plant. In gotcha. which we're able to take the fish from his ships, and his ships are uniquely different because nobody in the crew is on the deck. They are all below deck. The fish are brought in, fish have one fish at a time on a hook and line. They come in and they're processed on board. They are then frozen to minus 20 within 20 minutes of a live fish, which captures all of their nutritional value. Wow. And that is then brought back to our um, manufacturing, manufacturing plant. plant in Dutch Harbor. Off and the sea in it, Alaska, as you said? Exactly. Bering Sea and Gulf of Alaska. So you built a, 
a manufacturing plant. First, first ever. Is it in the sea or is there land that it's on top of? Well, off this, Dutch like Harbor. I don't, I don't know if you know the um, Aleutian Archipelago. It's a it's a really interesting chain of islands. Uh, in go, Alaska. Right. They go all. It's the tail of Alaska. If you look at the map, that goes all the way down almost to Siberia. Wow. And they're 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 islands that are, these are volcanic islands. Each island is like a volcano unto itself. It's like the Hawaii of the north. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. Some people consider <laughs> Hawaii to be the extension of the Aleutian Islands. Wow. So that um, that island uh, processes a billion dollars worth of fish pro pro products a year. One of the major fishing ports in the world. Wow. Okay. So your your plan, what is it designed to do that? It's designed to be able to take the frozen things that come off the boats, come in and keep them cold, process the oil so that we end up with the fish oil no one else in the world can produce. It retains all of the natural... Come on, really? Yeah. Yeah. We have the highest levels of pro-resolving mediators in that oil that are about 100 times more anti-inflammatory than normal fish oils. So it's all part of this meeting this, again, my hobby, which is boating, and meeting this uh, fisherman uh, some five years ago, and, and then we've developed this relationship. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. It, it really has been amazing, actually. And we got a grant from the state of Alaska to train uh, young Ala Native Alaskan uh, young women and men to become Kim Techs. We built a whole facility, and, um, and it, we now have members of the Native Alaskan uh, Development Group on our board because uh, you can't own shoreside land in Alaska unless you have Alaskan partners, Native partners. So we've learned a tremendous amount about Native culture. Wow. It, it's it's really been quite an um, education for me. Wow. Um, so is this where you eat all your fish then? Is, yeah. is it, so you yeah. they can ship it anywhere or where's the, how does um, the shipping work? Well, we, again, we uh, we have partnership uh, with a variety of suppliers. Uh, we're not into the uh, commercial fish sure, uh, sure. business, but uh, it, it allows us now to actually build a, a sustainable, in fact, I'm very proud. We're not only MSC certified, which is Marine Stewardship Council Sustainable Fishery, but we're now a higher standard, which is only available in the state of Alaska, which not only certifies that the fishery is sustainable, but the shoreside community is sustainable. Huh. They audit the communities, the workers, fair wages, health uh, plans on the shoreside, so that your culture has to be stable wow. as well as your fishery. It's like the Michelin star of, you know, manuf fish manufacturers. That, that's what we think. And we're the first and only um, oil manufacturer supplement that has that dual certification. So it, it's, it's this for me, you can see it's just been. I got to get access to it. I got to figure out how I can buy some of this fish well, and the oils we're and everything. We're sending yeah. you this stuff. So you'll, you'll be uh, having a chance to check it out. And so if. So when they so they can pack it within twenty minutes, keep it cold, and then process it and ship it, and still keeps its nutritional value. Yeah, yeah it's uh, even yeah. if it's a week later, it's like arrives yeah. at someone's door. In fact, it's better than fresh. It, now, why is really? it better than fresh? This Tell is me. something I've learned actually. So when we buy fresh fish in the store, and I learned this by going up to Norway and being in Iceland and being in Alaska on the fishing boats, is that that fresh means you've caught it by whatever mechanism, generally it's net, but it, it could be other me mechanisms, uh, seining. Uh, that fish is brought in on the boat and it is put in the hold with ice, so it's iced down. Now it may be- it's still alive or is it-, is it... it you No, know, it's dead. Okay. And so now it's on ice for some number of days until that ship gets back to a offloading at the processing then plant. Then it fillets it in the process. That's right. Yeah. And so, it, even at ice temperature, 
the body of a fish is degrading, right? Interesting. And so you end up with a different texture, a different flavor, a different nutrient composition slightly. And you can measure this. There are things that we measure called anisidine and, and lipid peroxides in the fish that tell us how much aging it's undergone. This is amazing. <laughs> so so they fillet it within like 20 minutes or an hour or whatever it is when they catch it, right? 20, 20 minutes. When they catch it, fillet it, pack it. It goes, it goes, it goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, you're speaking about the normal process. Your process. Though. Our process, yes. it goes into deep freezers at minus 20 degrees. Wow. So it, it's frozen to capture. On the boat. On the boat. These are all specially designed. Filleted, skinned, yep. deboned, yep. and then it's they're put, they're put in separate trays. I, it's actually beautiful the way he designed. He's a marine architect, my partner, and he designed these uh, ships so that um, there are racks that go into these deep freezers you know, that then the, the the fish product doesn't sit on top of it. It's all um, cosmetically laid out wow. so that it's all individual. That's amazing. Okay. Is that where you get your fish? Yep. And Absolutely. It, and it ships to you and it tastes better than like fresh caught, organic, free, whatever it is, wild Alaskan that they're selling at the store. Yeah. So let me give you an example of how this works yes, in yes. market dynamics. You'd be interested in Tell this. It. So normal fish, either salmon or cod that's caught, you know, on traditional methods may have a varying price, but let's take cod as an example of probably something like on the wholesale market, a uh, fifteen a pound, say. The fish that are then sold out of this process to high-tier restaurants because of its quality sell for $3 a pound because the difference is so perceptible to the consumer. Tasting it so much. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Well, most of the fish that people eat is from uh, fish farms, correct? Right. It's like mostly, you know, in a contained water aquarium, yeah. essentially, that may be out in the ocean, but in like its own container where it's not like a wild fish, correct? Yeah, that's a whole nother process. Is, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if you've seen the book Salmon Wars that was just uh, published that really talks about this whole fish farming controversy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Obviously, we in, in Seattle and up in Alaska are very much against fish farming. And Alaska does not allow fish farming. They made a decision as a state that the preservation of their wild fishery is their unique point of uh, entry. And so we don't have any wild, like we don't have Atlantic salmon in Alaska. Atlantic salmon are the ones that are fish farmed. And when they get loose, then they populate with the wild, um, co uh, replicate with the wild salmon and change the whole genes. Really? Wow. This is fascinating. There's so much I need to learn about this stuff. What about the meats? Um, 
non-fish meats? What do you, are there certain meats that you will only eat? Is there some that are better than others in terms of immune support and health for the body? Yes. You know, this is another, um, I, I probably should give a caveat. Um, I'm pretty much a non-red meat eater myself, but with that said, for 10 years, I was on the board of the first organic meat company certified in the United States, Coleman Natural Meats in Sawatch, Colorado. It was um, really a fascinating experience for me. I was the head of their scientific um, uh, group that was really measuring the level of pesticides, herbicides, or uh, chemicals that were in the meat because their animals were raised in the absence of any veterinary medicines, no antibiotics in the feed. They were not said to feed lots. And so their uh, positioning was we have certified, tested, residue-free products. And the reason that that company was founded, and this I think you'll find interesting, was the um, the founders were uh, fifth-generation cattle, cattle ranchers, the Coleman family, uh, when, I, when I met Mel and Polly Coleman. Um, and they had been raising their beef traditionally on their ranch, which was, I think it was the highest elevation cattle ranch in America at the time, something oh, like that, 11,000 feet or something, oh. on, their, on their upper pasture. And uh, Where is this, Colorado? Or is this... Yeah, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the wife, Polly, who was the quintessential Western woman, a rancher, horse rider, a roper, a chef, I mean everything, um, she um, became allergic to their own beef. And so they go and they do these store demos um, because they felt their meat tasted so good and put them on a toothpick and do store demos. And she got so every time she would eat some of their meat, she would end up in an allergic reaction. So she told her husband, Mel, that something was going on, even though they were trying to be very careful uh, when the, the animals went to the feedlot, they must be getting something that's making this meat so that I can't eat it anymore. So they made a decision, was kind of a risky decision at the time. Okay, we're giving up all that kind of commercial beef production that we are in the Cattlemen's Association and our history and our families, you know, well ensconced in this technology. We're giving it up and we're going to a total natural um, beef production system, which was kind of uh, made them expatriates from the cattle ranching community. Interesting. And so they then fortunately, early on, uh, met John Mackey at Whole Foods and w- was able to be picked up at Whole Foods as an alternative natural meat. But they were trying to get a designation with the U.S. Department of Agriculture to be a naturally labeled beef. Okay. Uh, but the Cattlemen's Association, as you can imagine, pushed back extraordinarily hard on that because they didn't want a distinguishing different kind of meat that would make theirs yeah. appear less whatever. Less desirable. And so... Um, that was when they put a scientific advisory group together and they hired me to run that as a consultant to run that uh, group. So we worked with the USDA and all this testing process and and for five years fought many battles in court, basically. And eventually uh, they were successful in winning the designation of, of natural meat through the USDA. That opened the gateway then for many other companies to start doing that. And we actually certified other ranchers with our process and I did our group did all the testing so what I, I guess the, the input of the story is that then Polly Coleman was once again able to eat her own product. 
her allergies went away. Wow. Now, why did they go away? What was the process that switched? Because no longer were they going into feedlots and getting exposed to chemical uh, processing and antibiotics and vet medicines. Gotcha. They were so that's what it was causing it. Gotcha. Yeah. And people used to say early on to me, I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times on this early on, and I, I got heavily criticized saying, no, hold it. There is none of these things that appear in the meat. I mean, they, it's all excreted out. It's processed. And and that's a bunch of you're sensationalizing and you're making people paranoid. But it's turned out that, no, we were right. Wow. Based on what they're eating, it's causing you to have reactions. That's now, right. You Your eating immune what system, they're eating. That's right. The immune system says that's a foreigner, even though it's at levels that are at parts per billion levels. Our immune system is that sensitive to some wow. of these chemicals. So it really matters what we eat. Oh, boy, does it ever. And the immune system is our telltale. It'll tell us. Should we? I mean, listen, this is like, a, I guess, a privileged conversation for a lot of people to talk about. Should, but should we be really thinking about eating from local farms the, the most we can? Um, you know, if we can afford those things? Or what should we be thinking about if we're shopping at the grocery store, we're ordering out, you know, we're getting foods out at different places, we're not cooking ourselves, versus going to the local farmer's market? What should we be thinking about when we're choosing food? I think you really hit it right there. You know, um, the journey of life starts us with single steps. And we're not going to transition this food supply system overnight into something that's regenerative or all organic or take these chemicals out of there. Uh, a lot of people are saying, well, hold on, if you did, Jeff, what you're advocating in on Moss, that we'd reduce our food uh, production, we'd produce starvation, um, and, you know, that's not a good idea. Uh, it turns out, however... That's a more complicated story than it might appear at the first level because we have so much food waste in this country. If we just if we just cut food waste down, uh, we could easily change our agricultural system and still meet the demands of, of individuals. So that's a whole other sidebar question as to why we waste so much food. But let's just stay on point here as it relates to changing our agricultural system. When we first started uh, advocating uh, organic um, standards and certification, um, as an industry, this became the birthing of the natural foods industry, which is now, I think it's a $65 billion industry. No one believed that that was ever going to happen. It was, that farmers are not going to go for this. It will reduce their profitability. They can't make a living. People don't care. Um, but we were uh, post Adele Davis. Uh, we were post um, uh, silent, uh, the, the, the whole nature of pesticide residues producing um, difficulties in... Um, in health, and, and particularly children. So we had a lot of uh, mothers that started to get very active and be proactive in this movement. It's starting to pick up steam. Uh, this would have been in the um, in the 80s uh, for me. And we started to take groups to D.C. And, and really start talking to people, put position papers together. Wow. So over time, organic agriculture through the uh, Organic Farming Act was uh, certified by law. Uh, and you might say today of the um, 870, 870 million acres of uh, farmland in the United States, what percentage are organically farmed? And it's a, it's a very small percentage. It's less than 3%. Less than 3%? Of the total here of farmland in the United States. 800, how much million? 870 million acres. 870 million acres of farmland where we're growing food? Yes. 3% is... Well, just a minute. I need to be cautious. Yes. Because we're growing crops, but only 50% of that ends up at food because the two major crops 
uh, let's see, 100 million acres is corn, uh-huh. and 80 million acres is soy, and and 50% of that doesn't go to food. It goes to forming ethanol and forming really? other okay. substances that are not eaten directly by humans. So we've used our land in <laughs> different ways as an economic driver, but the organic movement still is an agent of positive change that is growing. So when someone says, could we transition agriculture over to sustainability uh, using limited chemical intervention, the answer is yes, we can do that. That, that technology does exist. And we talk about uh, you know, carbon capture and, and climate change. Uh, you know, an acre of uh, organic uh, land will capture about a ton of carbon per acre per season. Um, a non-organic farm captures about a half a ton of carbon per Very acre. Interesting. So there's all sorts of things as part of the story that we could go on and on and on. But I believe given all the imperatives that we have for survival, maybe things that we think we thought were not so possible now become more possible. What has been in the 40 years of your you know, research and dedication to the immune system, but also understanding nutrition and food and farming and all these different areas of the body and also just human nature and nature in general. What has been the biggest transformation in the last four decades that you've seen in the, I guess, the medical system and the health and wellness space? So that's number one. Yeah. And what do you see is going to happen over the next couple of decades that is possible for the medical system and health and wellness that it, that hasn't happened yet. So let's both take a deep breath, oxygenate our neurons because this is the um, this is the dream state that I'd like to capture this moment. Okay. So I'm going to use a symbol to answer your question because your question is so omnibus and, and uh, so important that I want to use something that people might be able to identify. So what is something that we sitting at this table can show as a symbol of a change that no human species in the experience of this planet has ever had that relates directly to their potential health outcome. And I'm going to show you it. This is an aura ring. Uh-huh. This is Apple an watch. Apple Watch. Yeah. Biometrics. Uh-huh. No human culture or human being prior to the last 10 years has been able to measure their biology 24-7-365. Right. Now, what happens is when you can do that, you start owning your body at a different level. Mm. It's like continuous glucose monitoring that people are putting on their bodies. Now, let me give you an example of this. Early on with SARS-CoV-2, I've been wearing my Aura Ring and my Apple Watch time since beginning. I noticed that my Aura Ring was telling me that my readiness score in the morning, which was constant in the 80s or maybe in the low 90s, my readiness score for two days went down. And I thought, well, why is that? Why did my readiness score? I'm doing all the same things. Readiness score is a calculated algorithm on this that measures your heart rate while you're sleeping, your body temperature and sleeping, your heart rate variability, your, um, I said pulse rate, um, and your your oxygen, and he was and your sleep and fitness uh, by steps, 
and it was going down. Now, my life had not changed, so why would it go down? In fact, it changed so much that it went one day down to 60, where it was normally in the high 80s. You still had the same routine, went to bed at the same time, That's ate right. the right foods, <clears throat> all that stuff. Okay. Three days later, I got sick. Oh. So it prompted you. My immune system is what I was measuring. Wow. I wrote an article on this. I did a series of blogs. They went viral. Um, and the Aura Ring company now has all sorts of studies going on to use this biometric as a way of starting to assess your immune system. If it's if it's weakening, if That's something right. is under attack. Early warning. So these tools that we have, and now, they, of course, the Apple Watch, you can measure your cardiac rhythm. You can measure your oxygen sat. Soon you'll be able to measure your glucose and blood pressure. Once you are able to do that 24-7, you have a laboratory of your body that no one's ever had access to. Wow. Now you can start to tune. You can be your personal coach. Now, the reason that I think that's so powerful is that in the medical world of today, we don't have all the resources that are available to treat each person individually. We can The best we can do is for people to go to the emergency room when they got a problem and hopefully get the best of care. But the daily tuning up of your body based on your aspirations for good health, uh, we just don't have all the resources capable of doing that. These tools provide us that opportunity. And so now what I'm witnessing is a transformation in which the disease care system is starting to de-dock and separate from the healthcare system. And I've been saying for 40 years that health can't be owned by the disease care system. There, there are just two different languages. Two, there's nothing wrong. In fact, there is a lot of good things about the disease care system. But you can't have health owned by disease care. Health has to be over here personalized and accessible with a whole different set of tools. And also disease care system, I guess, really has no incentive of you being healthy in well, terms there of financial. There is that as well. That, and that, so there's a conflict of interest yeah. because they want you buying something that you need to take so that you're like preventing the disease just enough, but not fully curing it so you can keep buying it, right? Well, let, let, let me give an example that's very, to me, um, optimistic and um, it is a feel-good experience. So when we started the Institute for Functional Medicine in uh, 1991, uh, there was a lot of pushback uh, in, from my colleagues saying, Jeff, your advocacy is noble. But you're never going to get docs who are already licensed to go back and pick up these textbooks and to study uh, biology and cell uh, function and nutrition and so forth, pathology, uh, immunology, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they've already been through enough school. They're sick and tired of it. They're licensed. They're not going to do that. Well, I'm here to say, 32 years later, that these individuals, these several hundred thousand people that we've had the privilege of working with, demonstrate that's not right. There are impassioned, dedicated people that take time out of their practices at their own financial loss. They go home at night and they study these textbooks that so they have a need to know. They come back and they take hard exams to be certified that are as hard as their board certifying wow. exams. They are totally dedicated to patient um, care and to uh, what I call re-enchanting themselves to why they went into medicine. Right. The problem that doctors have today often is they had advocacy, and I can say this having been a medical school professor and, and seeing the light of excitement in these young people's eyes that they were going to go out and help the world. Then I see them 30 years later when they're worn out and tired and they've just had that spark just drained out of them because they don't feel like they're really getting people well. 
They feel like they're a surrogate to the drug company prescribing medicines. So when we can give these people the opportunity to really work with patient-centered health care and see the results that these things produce in terms of upstream root cause uh, outcomes, they are exalted to go to their books and to dedicate themselves. So I'm very optimistic that we're watching a transformation occur right before our eyes. Really? So that's the biggest thing. Do you feel like everyone should be tracking in some way, whether it's a ring or a watch or something? Do you feel like that's... Well, I think there there are different Glucose monitor, you know, all these things. I'm sure you found this in your people you speak to and your friends and colleagues. uh, There are different levels of geekism. Yes. I mean, some people, I'm probably way on the edge of the biohacker in times I was wearing, you know, multiple different kinds of... (laughs) devices, I'm, I'm way out the edge. But I think that there will become more and more acceptance of these tools as they become cosmetically attractive. They don't look clunky. They're not bulky. And, and and the information, this is the key, doesn't require them to be expert. It goes to the cloud automatically. It gets AI'd with generative AI. It comes back to them in a usable way that's personalized to their language, their culture, their ethnicity, their desires. And now we truly get a personalized healthcare system. That's interesting. If you could only use one device consistently, would you use the ring or the the watch? If you had to pick one. I've had such an intimate relationship with my rings because I got this for the first generation. And this this is a new Apple watch for me, but I'd probably, just for the convenience, stay with the ring. Stay with the ring. But But, you feel like the Apple watch gives you a lot of data too? Well, well, now now the Apple watch has your cardiac rhythms on it, which you don't have on your interesting the ring your, gotcha so the different tools for sure, different sure. things you're interested wow in. okay this is fascinating um what else do we need to know about balancing and harmonizing our immune system uh or anything else that you feel like we should be aware of t- to prepare and optimize performance over these next few years well you know you asked me the question and i thought it was a really good leader question and why did i land on immunity. And we've gone around this topic, you know, from different angles. Um, immunity is, is a way station, uh, point of entry. There are many doors into health. It just happened that given all the concerns that people had relative to infectious disease, that immunity was uh, the topic du jour. But it, it's, it's not the only way to get into health. You could get into health fitness and cardiovascular fitness and musculoskeletal fitness. You could get into it through gastrointestinal fitness. You could get in through a neurological fitness. Um, it's my belief that there are four quadrants of function that people aspire to perform at high levels. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 
And those quadrants, I, I discuss this in my book, um, Disease Delusion, because I thought it was a concept that most people are probably not familiar with. So the, what are the four quadrants? There's physical function, which is your body motion, mechanics, biomechanics, muscles, bones, ligaments, tendons, all that uh, mechanical nature. Um, there is metabolic function, which is the mechanism of physiology that goes on within inside our body. Uh, there is cognitive function, which is your, uh, you do uh, quite a bit on your podcast on that and do a beautiful job. And then there is behavioral function, uh, which has to do with the nature of how we relate and act in the world around us from the information that we're processing, our cultural backgrounds, our belief systems, our attitudes. When all four of those are tuned up, we're a complete human being and we have the best day in our Whole, lives. All healthy, happy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, most of us probably don't experience all those tuned up on the same day <laughs> all the time. <laughs> right. So we're constantly in aspiration. But some people of, of those fours have more common problems in one of them than the others. And that, that is maybe where they want to start. And so that's what we've tried to do in this, um, this big world health model, is we've tried to say, we want to give you a point of entry into owning your health. And the immune system is a place because the immune system so rapidly responds to what you're doing that you'll get quick feedback. Yes. And we all like to get quick feedback. We like to know what we did really made a difference. We don't want to just move a number. Right. We want to move our performance. Sure. So that's kind of how we landed on the immune system, but it's not the only gateway into yes. taking charge of our health. What's your biggest fear and concern at this season of your life? with all the information you have, with where you're at personally and professionally, and where you see things happening in the future? Well, at 77, you know, as, as I was saying to you, um, I hope that's a double sevens. That means a lucky double sevens. Yes. Um, but clearly, the number of years ahead are less than the years behind. That That's a fact. So what's my singular most important um, commitment to whatever those days ahead might bring? is to do a pay forward. I've had a privileged life. I've traveled six million miles. I've met extraordinary people like you, people that are advocating for others to be better, for our society to improve, for culture to be more understanding and tolerant and and, and benevolent and uh, for people to have joy. And that experience that I've shared with so many people just got passed through my lens because of my background in, in biosciences and the way that I communicated. But it is really an advocacy that I have the responsibility because of this fortune to pay for it. And I pay for it through watching how my grandchildren uh, are responding to their grandfather uh, as kind of a litmus test and how uh, people that are now becoming the leaders, um, how they're picking up and modifying what I've been trying to advocate for a number of years. And, and is some of this stuff sticky uh, that I've been doing? And if it's not, why? And can I modify the way I'm languaging it in a way that makes it more sticky? So my thing is all about pay forward. And, you know, I'm, I'm in, a, in a very privileged place. I don't have to make a living. Uh, the college education for my grandchildren are all put away in trust funds. Amazing. Um, my wife and I are very fortunate. We have no debts. Um, so if we have bad days, it's our own fault. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, what do we want to do with those days? And how do we want to leverage the fortune that we've had. And that's why, to me, Big Bold Health is, is it more than just a name. Because being bold about your health means you're not apologetic. You state who you are. You're transparent. 
and you try to advocate for other people to both aspire and achieve that which is given to them to have great lives. Right. Wow, it's beautiful. So what is Big Bold Health and how can we get involved? Well, we, we um, everybody can go to our website. We've got all sorts of podcasts and information there about all, all sorts of things. I'm, I was mentioning to you early on that I, I was told by one of my colleagues that I was uh, maybe one of the earliest podcasters because in 1979, I started a series of educations called Functional Medicine Update on audio cassette tape um, that then transferred over to CD later and later transferred to a sticks, later went live cast. I did it for 31 wow. years, never missing a month. That's amazing. And I had subscribers to that all 31 years, so long that their kids had become doctors. Amazing. It started to subscribe. So um, I think there are so many ways that we can give and be purposeful and have a life of meaning and uh, and still be who we need to be yeah. in the world. Right, that's beautiful. And and there's a program at Big Bold Health as well that yeah. we can go through? Or what? Yeah, we, we have what's called the Immunity Plus um, program, which is a 90-day program. We have an app that guides people that uh, has daily lessons, um, introducing a person to ownership of their immune system. And uh, we just finished... Um, very interesting clinical trial that was clintrials.gov um, registered. You can look it up on the clintrials.gov website, in which we looked at the effect of these Himalayan tartary buckwheat nutrients on the immune age of 50 human beings. And we found people that had aged immune systems, we could reduce their immune age by uh, within 90 days by six to seven years. Come on. Yeah. They're, yeah. So their biological age, you could... Yes put back in time. Precisely. Just so, from this one uh, ingredient? Well, it be, it's a combination of all the ingredients within Himalayan tartary buckwheat. Really? But by taking yeah. this Himalayan tartary buckwheat, is that yeah. what you call it? Uh -huh. Now, why tartary? After 90 days, yes. you could reverse the biological age. Of people that had, ex uh, had, had immune age that was greater than their chronological age, we could reduce it. Oh, wow. Oh, so it was greater than the chronological right. age. You could reduce it back to their kind of chronological In some cases, below their chronological age. Oh, my gosh. Age. 90 days to take yeah. this? I got to take this. Okay. It's amazing. Well, so we, this, we has were, been, this has been documented. This is everything. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we're, um, we're just uh, writing up the paper for a publication. And we've, wow. Uh, and the other thing we did, which you might find interesting, is because we've started now to understand the interrelationship between the immune system of the soil to the immune system of plants, to the immune system of animals, to the immune system of people who eat those animals, um, we started to ask the question, what would happen if we re-nourished the soil of our farms? Now, our farms, recall, are all organically certified. They've been at least 20 years organic. These are good farmers. and In fact, we have a little video on our website of, at Harvest, and you, when you hear the stories from our farmers and our Millers, and you can't help but be impressed with how, wow. how passionate they are, what they're doing. And so we started, we, we have a soil scientist, Dr. Emily Reese at work, uh, Cornell PhD, that works um, for us uh, on this project. And so we started uh, inoculating the soil with different friendly bugs, like its own microbiome. And then we asked the question at the harvest, did we change the level of these phytochemicals so that we can enhance the level of these nutrients? And lo and behold, we can. By improving the immune system of the soil, we improve the immune system of the plants, which then improve the animals. Right. Wow. So this is this is a web that we're living in, a web of interaction. 
we tend to segment things out. We have kind of an anthropocentric view of humans and then everything else, but we're all part of this web of interaction. Wow. And the more we study it, the more we understand how we're interconnected. This is amazing. Um, I want people to go to your website, Big Bold Health. Uh, they can go there and learn more about this. Do you have also a list of farms around the country that is using these processes to enhance the soil and the the farming system or not? That, that's a really good question. We haven't actually, we, we've got that list, but we've never actually published it. And I would be a, maybe a little bit wary as to how we would do that because we'd probably offend somebody that we missed. Ah, gotcha. You know how it is if you say, well, what about me? And we, well, we didn't know about you. So well, at, you, every year you can update it. Yeah, exactly. You can update it every, every quarter exactly. and you say, hey, okay, addition and beyond this. Okay, interesting. Um, well, I want to acknowledge you, uh, Dr. Jeff, for, for your 40 plus years of dedication to this cause, this mission of helping people have better performance with their overall health, with their immune system, with looking at their health as this web and not just as a, you know, a, a parts that could have a disease or something, but looking at how everything plays into that. And for your joy for life, your joy for people, your joy for adventure and continual service. I'm really grateful for you on how you show up in the world. And uh, I'm so glad we had this conversation. I have a couple final questions for you. Uh, this is called the three truths question. So imagine it's your last day many years away. You get to live many more decades uh, and accomplish what you want to accomplish, live the way you want to live. And for whatever reason, all the things that you've ever published and the conversations in the books it has to go away to the next place. But you get to leave behind three lessons with the world. And this is all we would have to remember your content from these three truths. What would be those three truths for you? Well, you know, this is interesting. I did an exercise when I was in my 40s. I went to a personal development uh, seminar, and one of the questions was, what would you like written on your tombstone? And um, it, it, that has not changed, actually, at all for me uh, over the uh, 37 years since that 40-year birthday. Um, I said I'd like on my tombstone to say he was a teacher. Because I think to be a, a good teacher, you have to be a good learner. You have to be a good listener. You have to be a person who uh, understands difference of opinions and accepts and and uh, incorporates those that really work for you. So that, that would be one. But the others would be, uh, I think that, that I would like people to recognize that health resides within all of our genes. And what happens is we get this derailed because we get subliminally seduced, we get marketed, time becomes compressed, we don't always make the most intelligent choices, and we become casualties of our own lifestyle and environment. And we're, none of us are going to live perfect lives. That's not right. realistic. But I always believe in the 90%er rules. You know, people say, well, where would you start? I say, give up sugared soft drinks. You know, that's, that is the first step. No one should be drinking them. And, and then you can go down the list, right, of hierarchy. So to me is just people recognizing they're in charge of how their genes are going to express themselves into their function and that we're getting information all the time from how we live in our environment that is translated by our genes into how we look, act, and feel. You know, obesity just doesn't happen magically. Um, it happens because information that our genes are processing 
have given rise to the collection of calories and for a rainy day that never comes in our fat mass. Right. So all these things tend to, to weave together about the importance for us being in charge of the most important precious gift that we have ever been given that makes us the jewel on the, the facet on the diamond of life, which is our genome. It's ours, ours alone, and it'll never be duplicated unless we're cloned, which that's a whole other story. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, that's number two. What's number three? Well, number three, I think, is to recognize that um, that health is really determined by our function, not by the absence of disease. And, you know, in 19, I think it was 47, when the health, the World Health Organization was first being formed, uh, it set a mandate as to what health would be, world health, and it was the full expression of physical, physiological, and mental and emotional health. It wasn't just, they didn't mention absence of disease once in that definition. I think that's what I would aspire for people to understand, that absence of disease is not the presence of health. Health is a determinant based on our function. That's beautiful. Um, before I ask the final question, I'm curious, side question, what uh, was the biggest lesson Coach Wooden taught you while, while, while playing at UCLA and winning a championship under him? Uh, I think it was two lessons. It was discipline. It was a master of discipline. And it was respect. Respect for who you are. I'll, I'll never forget an occasion at a practice where one of the five-star high school athletes that was recruited onto the team was not behaving within the context of the structure that Wood uh, was advocating. The ground rules. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And and he was a master of giving warnings, but you could tell they were well stated clear. And on the second or third time, I can't remember that this incident happened, um, he called out the player in the middle of practice as Mr. with his last name, showing respect, asked him to leave the court, and dismissed him from the team after practice. It was a big media thing, because this person was going to be a star. He ended up going to the NBA later for a different school. Um, and I thought I learned a lesson from that example of what respect is all about, respect for yourself, because it was that player that was disrespecting himself. He wasn't disrespecting the team or the coach. He was disrespecting himself. And he actually got himself into trouble when he was in the NBA. Later in the NBA, yeah. yeah. He never learned the lesson or he didn't. That's right. Interesting. Wow. So he dismissed him from, after a couple of warnings, he dismissed him from practice, then decided this guy's not good for our culture and our team. That's correct. He's not living up to the code that we have, the code of conduct or whatever it was. And so he removed him from the team, and then he transferred schools. Yes. And, and it was went a, on to be a, a star player at another school and went yeah. to the NBA. And it was a big media thing on the LA Times. That, you know, and a lot of people thought this was um, excessive. Move. Yeah, <laughs> bad move. But it was it was smart because that year, uh, um, wouldn't won a national championship. So. He won that year. <laughs> yeah. That was your sophomore year? Yeah. And so he won... Was that his first national championship or no? Uh, he never won a few before. I think that was the second, actually. I think the freshman year was his first. So he made a tough call to let go of a top, arguably one of the top athletes on the yep. team, the best players. Maybe Certainly one of the best from top. his pedigree, yes. Right. 
and said, hey, you're not right. You know, you might have a lot of talent, but that talent isn't welcome here if you're going to have this behavior. So I'm going to respectfully ask you to leave. Yeah. That's a bold move. Very bold. And, but that was, he was a man of great integrity. That's why he's still cherished by so many that, wow. that knew him. Wow. I had two, um, other than my own father, I had two other male important figures, uh, wouldn't be one. And, and the second or the third was, uh, I had the privilege of, of, uh, taking two sabbatical year leave with uh, Linus Pauling, two-time Nobel Prize winning laureate at, at his institute at Stanford. And, and those, those three men really were very instrumental in forming my view as to what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it as a, as a man. That's beautiful. This is inspiring. I'm so glad that you're here and sharing everything. I've got uh, the final question is, what's your definition of greatness? To be, right, be respected by those people that you respect. You know, I, I, I've, I've been criticized uh, many, many times by many people because I've not always taken a politically um, kind of middle-of-the-road opinion on certain things. Uh, but I, that's actually only sharpened my focus and allowed, because criticism can be a very powerful way of uh, evaluating your own thoughts and principles. But uh, it's how my the people I greatly respect, how they respond, that is really, to me, the, the truth teller. It's the, the way that I evaluate how I'm proceeding. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me, as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis house. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. You can start your day off right when you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.